You're now listening to the Talking Pictures Podcast, broadcasting from sunny Orange County, California. Filmmaker, journalist, and film historian, Paul Booth. Aloha. Welcome to Talking Pictures with Paul Booth. So happy to be here today, as I always am. This is my thing. This is what I do, what I love. Uh, Today we are here with our guest. She's a film festival doctor. Maybe you said, huh, but it's okay. We'll get into that. She also wrote a book called Born to Do It, Dr. Rebecca Louisa Smith. I'm super jazzed because this is the first time I've interviewed somebody who wrote a film book. So welcome, Rebecca. How are you doing? I'm good. Thank you for having me here. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you for being here. Brilliant. So I, I, I think I said it the first time we were introduced by a friend. Tell us what a film festival doctor is. So I am a film festival con- consultant and I help my clients get their films seen in festivals around the world. So I'm the one who creates the right kind of festival uh, campaign for their film, the right kind of strategy to get it into the best types of festivals and achieve the best results. Interesting. So Mm. do you think you would have used the word doctor if you weren't a doctor? Do you know what? That's a good question. I probably wouldn't have done because I remember that when I was studying for a PhD, I was very, you know, focused upon becoming a doctor from obviously by doing all that hard work to get the doctorate. Then I thought, you know what? I should call my company the Film Festival Doctor. Actually, it began as the Film Doctor, but a friend of mine was like, I'm not sure about that name because there's a blog called The Film Doctor and it's not really that specific to what you're doing. It's a little bit, you know, general. It could mean anything. You're focused on festivals. How about The Film Festival Doctor? I was like, this sounds good. So, so yeah, and someone did say, what if you don't get the PhD? What if you fail it? I was like, oh, well, I have to stick. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I was like, well, fingers crossed. Um, but it all turned out fine in the end. <laughs> good friend. <laughs> yeah, very good friend. What if you don't turn out to be cool and you're Mr. Cool? Um, that's a good one. <laughs> I know your your book, which we'll get into, talks about your sole purpose and why you do things. But yeah. what for you, like, why this? Of the millions of things you can do, especially with a PhD, why this? It's a really good question because um, I never really had this intention to work in the film industry when I was younger. And I thought what I wanted to do because people told me that I would be good at it, you know, doing academia and research because I like research. So people told me I should do it. So I thought, well, I should do it. But it wasn't until um, I first started working in film festivals. I got asked to co-produce a horror film festival um, in Aberystwyth, where I was studying my PhD. I thought, yeah, it's a nice, happy distraction. And I'd just be a hobby. And this hobby, I actually realized, um, was a life changer because I actually realized I want to be working in the film festival world and not in academia or research. I love this sector. It's a gap in the market. There's not really any, at this point in time, any active film festival consultants to help people get the films into festivals. It's very interesting. So research, you were, I just love research. So do you, like, was there a specific part of research that you enjoyed? Did you like that cool feeling at two in the morning when you find something out? <laughs> what did you? Yeah. <laughs> that is a really cool feeling, yeah. Um, yes, no, I did. I did. Um, I really enjoyed that kind of discovery. Uh, just like, oh, my goodness, so exciting. Um, and I did like that. I mean, I did actually really enjoy doing my PhD because it was on a topic I was very interested in because right. it's focused upon Quentin Tarantino and looking at how his audiences respond to his films emotionally. So it was very, it was a very interesting PhD. I have to say anybody that, that might even like Tarantino would like this PhD because it's fascinating in the world of film and emotional response. Right. Um, so I did enjoy the research and it was fun to like, you know, discover things. And, you know, I, I like that. It's like when I'm creating a festival strategy for a film 
And then I'm like, oh, there's this festival here. It'll be great. And this festival there and that festival there. I just said now to a, f- a friend of mine who runs a festival in India, it's a smaller one, but uh, I said to her, oh, you should probably, I should probably submit to you new material. It's a sequel to a film called Material and it had an Indian casting crew. And she went, oh, I love the new, I love the material. I really want to see new material. And that's one of your films. I was like, yeah. And she's like, oh, right. And it over. So it was like a nice little discovery, like small will, but also it's that little bit of putting the pieces of the puzzle together. It's so yeah. much fun. Oh, yeah. of course. No, that's really interesting because the on the Tarantino topic. I mean, your your book discusses pulp, but uh, all that always so cliche comes to my mind is Reservoir Dogs and the ear, yeah. and that it's never seen. So yeah. the way, so so just you know, if, if you don't mind, does uh, would it be audience? Did you have to look into the critic response that was just to sell papers, or was it just legitimate responses? What what was that? So when we did the research for the PhD, um, it was a lot of work to prepare the, um, the questionnaire for the audiences to respond to. So what we did, this is like back in the day before Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, Instagram, LinkedIn all became a thing for businesses and for actual work. This is, they were just about, they were coming out, you know, they were seen as, you know, like Facebook was that. It was the time of day of Facebook when they were saying things like, you know, Rebecca is, and you'd have to write your status, like, you know, going shopping or something. <laughs> it was quite a while back before it was seen as a useful business tool and people, you know, use it in different ways and it was more popular. You know, Twitter was becoming a big thing, but Twitter was a bit different in terms of what I was trying to achieve, you know. So that was when Twitter was all the rage back in like 2008 when this all began, 2007, 2008 kind of time. Um, so we had to do everything via a forum, which was called the Quentin Tarantino Archives. And it was a forum where everyone spoke about Tarantino's films. And I'd, I'd be on it every day, you know, engaging with people about the films. And there'd be a lot of, you know, diehard fans on there and all this kind of thing because it was their hero, Tarantino. Um, so I said to the guy that ran it, Seb, I said, could I put up a, a questionnaire for my research for a research project? And he was like, yeah. So it took us a long time to formulate the questions because you can't write a question that is closed. So you can't say like, um, did you like Pulp Fiction? You, know, you have to kind of say, you know, is Pulp Fiction one of your favorite films? If so, please elaborate. So you have to kind of be very specific and be very focused on the question and not leave it closed. Otherwise, you'll just get yes, yes, no, no. But I wanted people to really go in detail. So it was being, you know, it took a while to get that right um, because I had a few false starts. But when that was done, it was then published on the forum and I got so many responses. Like, that was the place everyone was. They weren't hanging out on, you know, Google Meet or Facebook or Instagram right. Live. Was that, that wasn't a thing at that point. So it was quite, you know, interesting seeing how times have changed since then, but how useful those forums and websites still are and how good they were back for research purposes. Oh, so you were doing this like before Django and... Yes. Oh. Yeah, this is a while ago. So... I remember when I was, people said to me, what film are you going to use to research? I mean, I didn't want, I couldn't like do a massive, like spread across three or four of his films. Um, the best thing to do was to really home in on one. And a friend of mine said, oh, it should definitely be his most recent one. And there was quite a stress with that one because the most recent film at that time was Grindhouse. Oh, and wow. in the States, okay. yeah, yeah in the States, it was, you know, the big three hour, you know, Rodriguez and Tarantino right. together doing two films for one and the fake trailers. You know, so it was really exciting. But obviously it didn't come off that well. Well, it's a great movie, but it didn't it wasn't a box office success. So when it came to the UK, where I was living at the time, um, it was Death Proof by itself, a longer version that wasn't the best, but it was it's what it is. Um, so it's quite interesting in terms of 
the responses were still useful. It was just a shorter version, a longer version. So my my thesis supervisor said to me, "No, we can we can use death proof as a case study. Just make a note that due to reasons under your control, Harvey Weinstein chopped them in half, and then there was a different release in the UK, and it, and it didn't do well in the UK at all. Like I went to all the screenings in London. I went over there to check out the screenings, all my research, and I was there. We did a Q and A um, in, in Liverpool. So you know, so it's quite interesting. And I met Zoe Bell several times at festivals, oh, nice. and the film was there. Yeah." It, it screened at Edinburgh Film Festival and she was there. He wasn't there, but she was there and she was amazing. So, yeah, so it was it was quite a journey. Um, it was a very interesting journey because that film was not a very commercial success until, you know, after he did then Django and all those kind of uh, films came out afterwards in Hateful Eight. Did you get to tell Zoe Bell what you were doing? I did. She was like, oh, my God, that's the first. <laughs> I remember saying, like, oh, didn't know you could do that. You know, she was quite surprised in a, in a good way. And she was like, well, that's so cool. I said, does he know about it? And I went, I'm pretty sure he does because um, Sebastian is very close to him that does Tarantino archives. And it still goes on now. I mean, obviously it's a different engagement because right. it's, you know, because it's a, it's moved on since the website forum days, but it's still the place to go for all things Tarantino. And Sebastian knows Tarantino through doing quite well because he's, supported him since day one okay. and all the fans are on there still the diehard ones always be there and they're all very loyal and they've all seen like you know once upon a time in hollywood about 50 times you know at the beverly, <laughs> at the beverly theater so oh, right, yeah. you know they're very they're very passionate i mean i've seen that twice i mean i thought i mean i've only seen it twice so i haven't had time to watch it like 50 times right. but that's what they do you know so that's what they do 150 hours <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, because yeah, that's a long time. That's a long time seeing the film. Well, and you, um, so now you get to when somebody meets you and says they're doing a doctorate about you, you can now know that you got to be cool about it, right? Well, I mean, you're, yeah. you're nice anyways, but, you know, think how cool that would be. Yeah. That's true. That's a good point. I didn't think of that. So <laughs> it, it, well, It's got to be such a trip. Like when, if so, I mean, think about that. If somebody was like, I'm writing a hundred something pages about you. It must be amazing. Yeah. Yeah, and like when Sam Sebastian said, oh, he does know about it. He's very into academia. He loves Carol Clover's book, Women, Chainsaws, and something else it's called. But um, he likes, you know, he does like academia. He's about to release, actually, an academic book about oh. film, not about his own films, but something's coming out in October that I've heard about. Really? So that's wow. exciting. So he's into that. I want to see this new podcast that he's doing about video archives with his buddy. Yes. Yeah, which is very cool, you know, so... He's got a lot going on. Oh, don't get me started about VHS stores. I'll digress. One last thing about Film Festival, Doctor. If you had to, like, pick an experience uh, that best expresses what you do, like a film that you had, I don't know, maybe you saw it and it was kind of like, I don't know, it was still in picture lock or it was kind of, and you knew if just you hung in there, then all of a sudden it's like you're standing at Sundance and you're just like, wow, like, is there something like that where you just saw a real big turnaround or something that made you really jump for joy that would probably be a short film called shock so i consulted on a short film called shock in 2013 i think it was and jamie donahue came to me with the screenplay for it and said you know can we have a consultant to see about it and i was like yes and i gave some advice about what to do with the film and how to get the funding and he got the funding and that was great I didn't uh, manage it as a festival manager, but I was there in the background in the consultancy phases and development stage. And then I did see a cut of it and I was like, wow, this is like hard work paid off. Because, you know, we put all this heart and soul into this. He even, you know, I think there was a point where he was living on fumes, you know, because it was to that extent. But he made it and it looked great just in like, you know, a, in, in the edit, like in just before a picture lock. And I was like, wow. You know, so he sent me that cut and I said, oh, maybe tweak it here and there because it's a little bit longer long but otherwise it was pretty solid 
and then that film went on to be Oscar nominated. Wow! Yeah, so I was uh, I was just so happy for him because he's a great, great guy, and um, you know it does really well now, I believe. But I'm just really pleased to see that that was a story where that was that was passion in that film. Like that was a story he was so passionate about because he got stuck in Kosovo um, with the volcanic ash. Um, he was in 2010 or 2011, I remember that happened. And he ended up loving being there. And the film is set in there and it's a story about Kosovo, you know, so it's incredible. That's amazing. <laughs> I love those stories where it's just like, I don't know, where the film just, even if it's whatever it is, to where the film just really plays out for a filmmaker or they just, you know, like your book Born to Do It by Dr. Rebecca Louisa Smith. I loved how your book was talking about networking, yeah. intention, talking about our team not necessarily just your, even using the word team um, in a different way with this podcast. I mean this in a totally positive way. You meet people all the time and it just seems like sometimes some of these principles, I, I'm no arrogance. I think they're the easiest things to do. Yeah. Have some intention, be kind, network. Yes. I understand maybe people don't have the personality to talk or they don't have, mm -hmm. that's not their thing. I get it. You're an introvert or you don't like going in a room full of people. Totally understand that. Networking just seems to be so different. I mean, have you experienced this since you did it before and saw social media come into it? Do you have a, I mean, a point of view that you would say about that? Have you seen networking change? Is it just the way you do it? I mean, how does that work? So I love networking and I find the best way for anybody to network if they don't like doing things like that or they're, you know, rather not go into that environment, just to be yourself and not have any pressure. Like I need to meet somebody who can, I can do this for me and do that. And don't make it about you, make it about the other person and then just be yourself um, completely and utterly you and relax because that way you'll get the right energy come to you and it'll be more fun. You're not like talking shop. It's more like you're just having fun being yourself. Oh, thing. Okay. I, I love it. I love networking like that, and I always like to go in that in that mode when I go out to places and like film events and just chill. Really, um, <laughs> it's quite fun. You know, can, I mean, obviously the the environment can sometimes be quite like you know people can be quite you know on edge sometimes because they're worried about something or their project or you know there's energy in film. It's it's a pressurized environment. Um, but you know, somewhere like in Hawaii, it's a nice place to network on the beach and festivals. Half uh, likes to keep used to keep this suite that overlooked. Waikiki so you saw Diamond Head and the beach and and it was just you're just sitting there having breakfast or cocktails or whatever and um, not cocktails at breakfast and it was really cool what I want to mention about your book there's kind of a real uh, method to your madness with the cover yeah your uh, cover says a hundred things more than just a photo yeah so what would you like to say about the cover and the importance so the cover is important to me because it shows the right kind of colors that one can wear to attract abundance, but also I wanted the cover to show authority, to show um, strength, and also a strong female business leader. So it was very important to me that that came across. So when we did the photo shoot, that was what the brief was, and I bought my own clothes. I wanted it to be the clothes I wanted, and did my hair and makeup, and that looked all fine. And then we just got that shot, just the right shot. We had a couple of pictures, but that shot was just the money shot, I suppose you can call it. Because it just fit in with the ethos and energy of the brand and the book really well. The, that chapter was making me think about a picture that we, we use on our website that, you know, just you get people that say it's a good picture. But for me, my picture was I was at a film festival party in Northern California in the town that my grandmother was from. 
I was eating shrimp, <laughs> drinking beer, and hanging out with filmmakers. So it was like, of course I look wonderful. <laughs> like, yeah. so many, <laughs> so, and I just don't have pictures like that. So I, I liked that you're able to pull all this off. And I take it it was a professional photo shoot, right? This wasn't like out and about, or you didn't use Correct. it and put it over a background because this is like really. Well, thank you for explaining about that cover of your book. Now, I know you've probably heard there's so many different questions that come come from this book. I mean, it has the business, it has the spiritual. Was it hard to kind of keep out more film examples or more like anything that like got you going? Like it mentioned Tarantino, not as much as somebody that that's their favorite film and did a thesis. So do you have did you have another version of the book where there was like more? film talk and I love this movie. Yeah, so I did put in, there were parts where I was putting in more examples being at film festivals and that kind of thing and obviously about, you know, film um, in that kind of respect. Um, but it, it was more focused upon the business and mixed spirituality and that was like, they were case studies and examples and sometimes some of the best case studies weren't always film related but they were just kind of just in the background, you know what I mean? So they weren't particularly always at always at festivals but some just made sense being different different examples really so it was all just very much whatever fitted with this with the with the technique i was explaining was the best example of you to use <laughs> i mean i really i like now that i've learned the research side and the academia side because i i really just loved the flow of the book i loved that i didn't i i i guess anybody doesn't like when a book I don't want to say above their head, but where they're having to think, oh, I, I didn't understand it or this came off too. like, well, of course, you know, or of course you do this. And on the front here, it says uh, underborn to do it, becoming the leader of a business niche using powerful spiritual techniques. Mm-hmm. Tell us, where did you get to jump on the spiritual side? Because a lot of people are going in, they write a book and, you know, they're kind of regurgitating their masters or they're reg- it's OK. They're regurgitating 20 years of being a lawyer so they're not really coming at it so what made you choose the spiritual part so i wanted to choose the spiritual part because um when i was building up my business i um what's the word to describe it i was having difficulty because i was reading business books and you know reading all the material things about building a business but what was missing was the positive mindset and that for me all works through using a, using spiritual techniques. So at the time when I was studying about business and researching business, it was all very you know helpful because it was about the infrastructure of a business and you know how to how to develop it, etc. But that was only good to a point. I thought, look, why am I getting stressed about this about my business? Why am I not in the right frame of mind? Why am I um, just feeling negative about this and the other? You know, it was there was something missing. And it wasn't until I met several coaches who were like business coaches, but also have a spiritual approach that things changed. And I realized just how important this was for any kind of business owner and especially people who were starting out with their first business or new to the world of business, because it is a stressful place when you haven't got the right kind of energy or the right kind of groundedness to your, to your mental health. So I thought I've got to combine the two and explain how they're both very important, how they work in tandem together and how everybody should incorporate spirituality into their business. I noticed when I was doing my research and learning more about spirituality that when I was reading magazines, there's a magazine based here in Dallas actually called Success. When I was reading Success magazine, um, I remember you know, having reading interviews with CEOs and entrepreneurs and that kind of that kind of people. And I was thinking, wow, 
these people are super, super, you know, grounded, they're relaxed, but also they, they draw upon spiritual methods. They're talking about manifestation. They're talking about um, vision boards. I was like, oh, this is interesting. So I'm not just anyone that uses this. And it seems like it's a bit of a general thing, <laughs> you know, and giving back and gratitude and, you know, this kind of stuff. It was really interesting. So I realized it's probably maybe in a business literature, they, they don't really say a lot about spirituality. It's a little bit under the radar. And spiritual kind of books don't really talk a lot about um, incorporating spirituality into a business infrastructure. So there's a bit of a gap there as well. Yeah. So I thought, well, I'm going to put it from my point of view, how I put it into the infrastructure and how I do it. And people can then try that and try their own at the end. See how it goes. Oh, I love that. The writing it down. Yeah. A friend of ours who used to co-host the show was telling one time, she said, What's the thing that everybody writes down that always gets completed? I was like, huh? She's like, grocery list. <laughs> yeah. You've manifested getting butter because you wrote it down. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that is true. Well, yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I never remember I'd wake up um, when I was, when I moved to London to get my business off the ground when I left um, Wales, Neverest, where I was studying and I finished the PhD and I went to London. You know, I didn't have, much money and I was having to you know fumes it wasn't the best but I did it and I had to work out but it was it was a challenge because I'd wake up you know around 8 a.m and I would be tired it'd be dark and I'd be in a basement flat there was lovely people that ran it the, the people that would run the, the basement flat above me but I mean it wasn't the best of my house and it was up and down and I was always you know just feeling very low and it was it was a challenge but then when I got um, introduced to the world of spirituality and all these kind of techniques I was like, I've changed everything. I get up in the morning now, half six, seven, full of energy, ready to go. I start with the day. Uh, I'm not in a basement flat. You know, that's kind of thing, several things that will be things that can certainly cause an issue with mental health. It was amazing. So I just, it's something that seems very under the radar to me. It does mention it because a lot of the, like you're saying, a lot of people who just have XYZ, they get up every day and say they're going to have XYZ, but they don't intellectualize yeah. to sit down and say, I'm using this practice. I'm manifesting it. There are one, I mean, I've known a lot of real estate people that are just, you know, because they have to eat, breathe, sleep money is why they have money because yes. they don't know how to take a day off. Now, of course, we won't get into if you do good or bad with that dark evil, but um, that's an interesting thing that I really liked. What prompted you to inspire to have a kind of note, not necessarily workbook, like you have to do it to understand the book, but that was kind of cool. Where'd you get that idea? Yes. The notebook um, was a funny one because I was, when I was young, when I was just starting out and I was, you know, a lot in a different kind of mindset, I'd always write down things on paper and just bits of here and there. And also when I was doing my PhD, I'd always write things down on a piece of paper. And people said, oh, why don't you just like, you know, put it on your PC? And I'm like, well, paper, it's, it's real. <laughs> There's something different about paper. Yes. <laughs> and I'm, I'm so old school. So I have in my office, like obviously I have my PC, but, you know, I have a proper old school diary that is thick paper and it's done by Aspinall London, a really good brand in the, in the UK. And I absolutely love this um, diary. It's incredible. And it's, you know, it's a heavy, you know, big book of, of a diary on paper. I scribble over it. Have to the left of me, I have um, a notebook and I also have um, uh, like other, what they called um, shopping list kind of, uh, kind of things um, that are all like just lists of things to do. And then I have my own system where I like put papers in half and just write little notes that need to come to my mind. 
Then what I also do when I'm on my phone, I'm out and about, is when someone WhatsApps me and wants something done or ask a question, I screenshot it. So then I put it to my in my pictures and I always look at the pictures when I get back home. So, yeah, so it's quite interesting. It's a nice system and it works because, you know, with paper, it's it feels like it's a real thing. Whereas with a PC, you know, obviously it's reliable and on your phone, but you just, with paper, I don't lose paper. It's like I never lose paper. It's always with me. So I recommend it because you can actually find that your brain will start, you know, happily free-flowing when you put things to paper. People, It's, it's an old saying, isn't it? Like, got to put pen to paper, like the screenplay. There's the same thing when it comes to work, business, anything else. Dropping this. Oh, yeah. You know, I love that you're saying that I cannot write any of these shows on a computer. Uh, exactly. It just doesn't happen. I have this pile of notebooks here. Some are like five years old. I don't really know what an interview from 2016 on my desk right now is going to do. But it's just like you're saying, it's knowing that it's there. It's a feasible, tangible thing that you can hold, look at. Um, yeah, you. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, yeah. Let's see. Do you have. Oh, OK. So do you have something I've, I've noticed you've been doing a number of interviews lately and podcasts, magazines. Is there something that you've always wanted to talk about and no one ever asked you to bring it up? I like the fact that you've got in detail about the PhD because that was it's always fun to reminisce about that and talk about how different it is now compared to, you know, how much we use per day Instagram, social media, and not really use forums anymore. Right. Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. quite nice. Um, actually, one question would be nice would be um, a question no one really asks is, where do I see my business in 10 years? Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm. The answer to that would be, I see it now as one thing I've always had about maybe two years ago was that the business would pivot to the US, which it has now. And by you know 10 years time, I expect it to be a very established brand within certain states in the US, predominantly LA, New York, Texas, uh, and other kind of more creative states, and just have like, be more of a, like a well-known brand. And especially here in Dallas, which I'm carving out now because I love the film community here. It's great. Um, really nice people, really nice vibes. And it's nice to be part of the family. It's like a family, which is the best feeling. Nice. Let's see. I guess we'll we'll wrap this up. We have a couple of questions we, we like to throw by the guests. Um, sometimes they're cliche. Sometimes they're not. Do you have a best lesson for others uh, that say you've learned in the last two years? Delegate. Um, ah. I never, I never delegated when I first started my company up. I never did because I thought no one else could do what I do. I think, it, but I think it was arrogance. It was just fear and losing control. That's probably what it was. Um, but I didn't know how businesses worked, and that when you delegate, you can actually help your business grow. So I realized that was a bad thing to not delegate. Um, so yeah, so I think that's a key thing. I think that, I think I said in an interview recently three times: delegate, delegate, delegate. You can always delegate to somebody um, to do something because people aren't stupid. When you hire them, you know they want to do the job and just explain it carefully and train them in a good way. So I would say that the crucial thing is always delegate. Like that, or you could be if you have uh, lots of people to delegate to. Sometimes I guess you could just be glad that you have that too. That's a nice thing. Exactly. Exactly. That's a very good point. Yes. And then, of course, this question has to be asked. What's the best piece of advice you've ever got? The best piece of advice was from one of my business coaches who I still chat with now. And he's absolutely brilliant called Ed J.C. Smith. He's based in the UK. He's awesome. And I remember I sat down with him at a hotel in London. I was like all stressed out and doing so much work and putting myself up. And then I said to him, you know, I need to make the business grow. and I don't know what I'm doing. And he went, 
well, how about you introduce different packages to your clients, just offering one? I was like, oh, it's a really good idea. Anyway, you'll know what they are because they'll come to you naturally. But that way you can have different price points. I was like, oh, that's a very good idea. So I worked on that for a while. And now we have those options now, which is great uh, to give to people. Uh, everyone wants a different kind of you know, package sometimes. You just make it bespoke. It. I used to be very much like, oh, no, just, just the one. <laughs> but now we've got different options we can give and different packages. So it's really exciting. Okay. Now, do you have a worst piece of advice you've ever got? I think, yeah, I think the worst piece of advice maybe was, oh, yeah, someone did say, the a passive income means very little work you have to do for the money to come in. I did try something. I was like, this is a hell of a lot of work. <laughs> uh, I remember it wasn't quite as passive as it was kind of made out to be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, he didn't really explain that it involves a lot of, you know, in advance preparation. You've got to keep on top of things. You've got to do stuff still. It's not just when it comes in, you do nothing. So, you know, that's not the best advice by saying passive income means doing absolutely nothing. It's quite a lot of work you know, doing renting out a house and stuff. So also where you went that house out and Airbnb, they all vary, you know, it's, it's a full-time job sometimes, you know, right. not just money comes in by doing absolutely nothing. So that wasn't the best advice I remember giving. I mean, for me, the way that I work is, you know, we're always quite, always very thorough. So you have to be professional strategies. And I wouldn't just say to people, just check yourself in. <laughs> Some people are going to ask questions. You have to answer them, be there, you know, when you've got a guest coming. Right. We'll close with, again, Born to Do It, uh, this new book and the Film Festival Doctor. If you could just, before we wrap, if you could give us your websites and where people can learn more. Yes. So to know more about me, my book and my brand and just me generally and what I do is RebeccaLuisaSmith.com. And for more about the Film Festival Doctor, my company and how to get your film into festivals, how we can help you. Um, the best website is thefilmfestivaldoctor.com. Excellent. Well, we want to thank you again for your time today. And, you know, we dig all our guests, but this has been really fun. And I really liked this book. Thank you so much for the autograph. Thank you. It uh, will be cherished. Um, now it makes me realize I have to sign a book if I ever write one. <laughs> or when I write one, let's not be negative with the manifestation. Uh, but again, thank you for all that you're doing. And most of all, I really, really like what you're doing for filmmakers because I've been there. I remember getting out of film school. I remember what do we do with festivals? What, just all those points. You you know them all too well of dealing with clients, but it's just it can be really just, you know, out there and dark. And you think you have to win a festival before this. And it's just I, I just like that you're giving face value to where people are at. I think there needs to be more of that in the field. Mm, Absolutely. No, I agree. So thank you very much for your support. Oh, yeah. You're welcome. Take care. Have a great night. You too. Bye. Aloha. All right. Well, that's going to do it for our conversation with Dr. Rebecca Louise-Smith. You can uh, check out thefilmfestivaldoctor.com. You can check out her book online. Wonderful book. That's going to do it for us here at Talking Pictures and with Paul Booth. And you know my motto, whether it's morning, afternoon, or evening, make sure and watch a good movie. Aloha. Thank you for listening to the Talking Pictures Podcast. Real conversation and movie-induced inspiration.